Hello, everyone. Is this mic working? Mic working. All right. If you guys could take a seat, that would be fantastic. It is really bright up here. Uh, for those of you that don't know me, my name is David. Um, yeah. Uh, I am a freshman, and this is my first semester at SALT. And shout out to Dylan and Brendan. I will be uh, becoming a SALT student leader next semester. Um, yes. Yep. <laughs> um, thank you. Thank you, everyone. Um, but I will be doing the reading today. So if everyone could turn your Bibles to 1 Peter 5. All right, we good? We good? Okay. <laughs> I don't know how long I'm supposed to wait for these kind of things. Thank you. All right, 1 Peter 5, verse 5 through 14. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. By, by Silvanus, I had to look up how to pronounce that one. By Silvanus, a faithful brother as I regard him, I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. She who is at Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings, and so does Mark, my son. Greet one another with the kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. All right, if you could bow your heads and pray with me. Heavenly Father, I thank you uh, for salt. Uh, this semester has flown by so fast, and it's been really good, um, at least for me, um, just being able to be in this type of community um, of believers. And I thank you for Ronnie and um, how pastoral he is to all of us. And I pray that um, you would speak through him in the message tonight. And um, yeah, I thank for all your blessings. Amen. All right, everyone. Welcome to SALT. My name is Ronnie, one of the pastors at DOXA, and I direct the SALT company. And as has been noted, it has been a year. It's been quite a year. We won't be back together like this until September. I picture all of you being a little bit taller when we get back. Anybody still growing here, you think? Who thinks you're still growing? Roger's still growing? Trevor's still growing? Eric is still growing? I like it. Okay. So that's what I'm picturing. I'm picturing us maybe, hopefully without masks in the fall. We'll see. I don't know if, the, I don't know if that's controversial or not. I hope, I hope we don't have to have masks. I think, I think maybe if we all just take a stand this summer and burn our masks, it'll just 
it'll just, it's, what's, it, what's it called where you like will it into existence? I don't know. But maybe we still need to wear them. I don't know. But I, but I hope not. Anyways, I wrote you guys a poem. I wrote you a poem uh, just here at the end of the year. Okay, so bear with me. It's from the heart. Although we've come to the end of the road, still I can't let go. It's unnatural. You belong to me. I belong to you. Although we've come to the end of the road. Anybody know this? And we can't let go. It's unnatural. You belong to me, Bill. I belong to you. Does anyone know this song, Boys and Men? Okay. No? Gosh. It's been in my head. It's been in my head all week. All right. Anyways, that's what I got. That's what I got for an intro. Go to 1 Peter 5. 1 Peter 5, <laughs> verses 5 through 14. We are at the end of the semester. We're at the end of the book of 1 Peter, okay? The end of this letter. And if you look at verse 12 with me, Peter, he basically tells us what he's been trying to tell us all along. Look at verse 12. He says, I've written briefly to you, that's 1 Peter, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. This is the true grace of God. He's saying, this is what I've been writing to you about. It's this truth that you can actually live a life where God is with you and for you on your side. Like where he's for you and not against you. And if God is for you, the Apostle Paul would say, who can be against you? The whole message of the book of 1 Peter has been that following Jesus, it's not easy, but it's worth it. Okay, if you follow the one who was crucified on the cross, that means your life is actually going to take the same pattern than his did. Same pattern. The cross before the crown. And so Peter, he looks at that and says, this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. So any teaching or message that tells you that you can actually have your best life now, like the crown but without the cross, is false. And on the flip side, any ideology that tells you that this life is is all cross and there's no crown at the end, right? Like the saying, like, life sucks and then you die. Also false. Because Peter says, this is the true grace of God, that in this life there will be suffering, but after suffering comes glory. He's called this our living hope. And this is what Peter's been exhorting and declaring to us as the true grace of God. You remember in chapter 1, he says, in this you rejoice, Though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's this reality that every human being is either moving further and further away from God into total disintegration or actually closer and closer to God into total restoration. Peter, he uses the word peace or the Hebrew word shalom, just total restoration of the person. He's saying that the Christian faith, it's this resilient faith. We become as indestructible as our Savior. That's what faith is. Faith is, is this thing where we, we aren't like grabbing on and achieving like our own accomplishment. We're taking a hold of, of God's accomplishment for us in Christ. We're becoming united to him. What's true of him becomes true of us. And that's why in chapter 1 he said, therefore, 
preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on this grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Christ Jesus. And again in chapter four, beloved, don't be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice in so far as you share in Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. This is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. Faith in Jesus Christ is a resilient faith. It stands firm. So this is an important message for all of us that are heading into the summer. It's an important message for you if you're a senior in the room and you're about to graduate and get sent out into the world, Connor and Sarah Kubiak and others. Just Just looked at Sarah though. And honestly, it's an important message for all of us, isn't it? All of us that in the room, you would raise your hand and say, I want to follow Jesus all the way to the end of this life. I want to, I want to have firm faith. Okay, and so, so tonight, what Peter's going to do is he's going to basically give us some closing words to help us follow Jesus for the rest of our lives. For the rest of our lives. How we can actually stand firm in the true grace of God. And it's going to be two things that we must do and then one thing that only God can do. So you ready? Why don't you look at your neighbor and ask that, say, are you ready? Look at your neighbor. You ready? Okay. Okay. Here we go. Here we go. Two things that we must do, one thing that only God can do. And Peter, he starts off and he says, you know, there's a way to live your life that is actually to pick a fight with God, even as a Christian. Okay, like this way that you can live in constant friction with God and his ways and his purposes. And then he says, actually, there's a, an opposite way where you can live your life in such a way that God is actually empowering you to do and be what you could never do and be on your own. Look at verse 5. He says, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Think about that statement. God is in opposition to our pride. You're picking a fight with God if you live a life of pride. But if you live a life of humility, it says it actually like invites his, his favor. God, God he, he shows grace to the humble. And so the first thing that we must do every moment of every day for the rest of our lives is humble ourselves. Okay, look at verse five and six. It says, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Now, if you think about it, humbling ourselves every moment of every day is simultaneously like the hardest and most unnatural thing that we could ever try to do, like get your heart to do that. But it is also the only way that we're ever going to truly find joy and peace and contentment and be restored to our humanity. That's what the Bible says. And so I want you to listen to to my boy, old Andrew Murray, okay? He's not known by anyone else besides me as old Andrew Murray. That's just what I started to call him. But he's he's from the 1800s. He's a South African pastor. And he uh, wrote a book on humility that I read this week, okay? And so I, but I've just been, he's this old guy. So I've been thinking of him as as old Andrew Murray, the South African pastor. And my title of this little section is just Rant on Humility from Andrew Murray. So I just want, I'm just going to read you a flurry of quotes from this book to help us get a grasp of, of what humility is and why it's so important. Okay? This is what he says. He says, The creature must accept that its main concern, its best asset, its only happiness now and through all eternity is to present itself as an empty vessel 
in which God can dwell and demonstrate his power and goodness. Humility, the place of entire dependence on God, is the first duty of the creature and the root of every good quality. Okay, but, but what is humility? He says, humility, it's, it's simply acknowledging the truth of our position as creature and then yielding to God in his rightful place as creator. Another one, he says, humility is, simply stated, the disappearance of self. Think about that. The, the disappearance of self. All your selfishness, all your self-centeredness, all your self-focus. Humility is the disappearance of self in the vision and understanding that God is all. And he says the holiest will be the humblest. Humbliest. That's not, that's not how I should say it. <laughs> the holiest will be the humblest, says the old Andrew, Andrew Murray. Okay, listen to this one. He says humility it will be the one standard of glory in heaven. Humiliation is the only ladder to honor in God's kingdom. And then you gotta do this in a South African accent, this next part, he says, brothers and sisters, here is the path to the higher life. Down, lower down. That's how I imagine old Andrew Murray in his South African accent, but did you catch that? The path up is down, lower in humility. He says, do not seek or ask for a position of honor. That's God's work. Your work is to submit and humble yourselves and take no place before God or man but that of a servant. To humble ourselves must be our single concern. Then the last one, he says, a lack of humility, we would call that pride, is the reasonable explanation for every defect and failure in the Christian life. Okay, so we got the point. We must humble ourselves if we want to stand firm in the true grace of God. But how do we do that? And what Peter does here is he actually gives us three different, just like really practical ways that we can work this out in our lives. So number one, we need to start treating our relationships with people as opportunities for humility rather than pride. Okay, treating our relationships with people as opportunities for humility rather than pride. Look at verse five. He says, clothe yourselves, like put on, put on the clothes of humility toward one another. Like we all agree that we know very well what it's like to view people as the competition, right? To look at them with contempt and jealousy, whether it's your roommate who you know really well or it's just people that you see on Instagram as you scroll, we naturally compare ourselves to people and just to try to see who, who's better. But what Peter's saying is we actually always have another choice, this other choice to clothe ourselves with humility toward one another. This picture and this image that we, we have this option, like in the same way that you get dressed in the morning and you pick which clothes you're gonna wear, you always have a choice of whether you're gonna put on humility or you're gonna put on pride toward the people around you. View them with compassion or view them as the competition. Okay, so again, old Andrew Murray for the win on this one. Listen to this. It says, humility toward men will be the only sufficient proof that our humility before God is even real. I'm gonna say that again. Humility toward men will be the only sufficient proof that our humility before God is even real. And then watch him just get us with this next little paragraph. He says, so let us consider how all lack of love all disregard for the needs, feelings, and weaknesses of others, all sharp and hasty judgments and words, so often excused under the plea of being outright and honest, 
All manifestations of temper, touchiness, and irritation, all feelings of bitterness and estrangement have their root in nothing but pride that seeks only itself. All right, so enough said with that. We got that one. <laughs> Here's another practical thing that, that Peter gives us about how to humble ourselves. It's, it's this. Number two, learn to trust the hand of God in your life, even when you can't see his purposes or understand his timing. It's learning to notice and trust the hand of God. He says in verse 6, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so at the proper time he may exalt you. And so he gives us this really powerful picture, right, of the, the mighty hand of God and then us humbling ourselves under it. And so if you, if you picture it, you know, who's, who's bigger and more powerful in the picture, you or God? Somebody answer me. God, right? The, the mighty hand of God over you. But we, we know that in our head and we can picture it, but we so often don't, don't live with it, right? And so the first step toward humility is actually realizing that God, he's not a genie in a bottle. He's not an idea in your journal. He's not an experiment in a lab. He's not an app on your phone. He's your creator. And you actually at one point were an idea in his head and he created you. Like he's, he's way bigger than you. He's way more powerful than you. He's way wiser than you and he loves you. He wants what's best for you in your life. But what's best for us is that we would be humbled Right, like we so badly want to be exalted, we want to be successful, we want to be praised, loved, we want to be winners, but God says, no, 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 the cross, it comes before the crown. He says, your job is to humble yourself, my job is to exalt you, but I will do your job for you if you need me to. I'll humble you. And we're just not used to this. We're used to striving and we're used to achieving and we're used to performing and we're used to controlling, but Peter's point here is before you'll ever really be somebody in this world, you need to be humbled. And if you try to exalt yourself, you're, you're fighting against the mighty hand of God. Do you get that picture? He says, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So, so humble yourself against the mighty hand of God. And so let me ask you this question. I want you to just really, really consider it. Do you think that that might be the reason why you're so frustrated and exhausted? Because you're trying to exalt yourself under the mighty hand of God, rather than humbling yourself. Peter, he says, humble yourself, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, and at the proper time, he will exalt you. His hand is on you not to merely crush you, but to, to care for you, to transform you, and one day, he will lift you up. Peter says, don't, don't fight him. Humble yourself under his hand. And one of the reasons this is so hard is that we're putting this just humble position of waiting, right? We're waiting on his timing. He says it's at the proper time that he'll exalt us. And so we get anxious and we get worried and we get scared, trusting God's timing and plan for our life and future. Anyone? Yeah. And that leads to the last little practical thing that he points out, okay? It's, it's number three, make God your coping strategy for everything. Okay, let me explain what I mean by this. He says, cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you, right? Life is hard, suffering is real, and we all need to find a way to cope with it and endure it. And have you ever noticed that, that some of the typical ways that we fall into sin can actually be like basically like dysfunctional 
coping strategies. Okay, so we, we become emotionally codependent on a friend or on someone that we're dating. We turn to alcohol or drugs or food to numb ourselves from pain or sadness. We busy ourselves with more and more work to distract ourselves from the emptiness that we feel inside. We binge on TV or video games to escape from the boredom of our life. We exercise compulsively to hide from just like the confusion that we actually feel on the inside. And whatever it is for you, like the truth is we just, we all have to do something with our anxieties and our fears. They're just, they're just there and they're in us and they're on us and we have to cast them somewhere, right? Peter's not saying that's the problem. He says the problem is when we cast our cares on things that don't even care about us. The Bible's word for that is, is idolatry. False gods, idols. False gods that make false promises that always end up letting us down or worse. And Peter, he's, he's making a connection here between our anxiety and actually humility. Right? He says, cast your anxieties on the one who actually cares about you. Make, make God, humble yourself under his mighty hand and, and make God your coping strategy for everything. This is why in the Psalms, so often the psalmist will cry out in prayer and say, God, you're my refuge and my strength, my, my ever-present help in times of trouble. I, I cast my worries on you. And I know that so many of us, especially this year, we're wrecked with anxiety and worry. And I know that that can be way more than only a spiritual reality, but it's never less than a spiritual reality. And so I'm not saying the only thing that you need to do if you have a lot of worry and anxiety is, is pray. But I'm saying one of the major things you need to do is, is humble yourself under God's mighty hand, which actually means relax, stop. Stop trying to exalt yourself and control your life. Start learning how to cope with uncertainty and fear by, by turning to God. We gotta learn how to do this. We don't naturally do this. We, we naturally worry. We don't naturally cast our worries and fears on him. Throwing our cares on him. He can handle it. He can handle it. Cry out to him in prayer. Walk with him every day of your life. Tell him that you need him. We sang that song tonight. That's actually where God loves to show up with his grace is when we finally admit our need. That's humility. That's humility. And some of us have begun to learn this, even, even just a little bit, but isn't it amazing that the secret to joy and peace in our life isn't our ability to achieve it, but the secret is when we humble ourselves and just let God be God in our life. And so Peter says, humble yourselves and just watch how the grace of God the presence of God, his, his loving favor towards you starts to propel you and empower you and carry you through your life. But then he also says, watch out. Because the grace of God isn't the only thing that you're gonna attract if you start to humble yourself. Look at verse eight. He says, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour so as Christians, we have God as our ultimate ally, but we also have an enemy, Peter says, an adversary who wants to devour us. And so the second thing that we must do, the first is humble ourselves, right? The second thing that we, 
must do to stand firm in the true grace of God is resist this adversary, resist the devil. I know sometimes it can feel weird to to talk about the devil, but if you believe in God as the Bible reveals him, then, then you must also believe in Satan. So let me just give you like a real brief Satanology of understanding who he is, okay? Satan is not equal to God. It's not like God is like the good in the universe and Satan is the bad and they're like on the equal playing field fighting each other. He's actually a created being, just like we're created beings, but he's not a human. He is an angel, a fallen angel, so a non-human spiritual being. And what we can piece together from the Bible is that he was the first angel to be filled with pride, okay, and decide that he didn't want to humble himself as a, a creature created by God, but he actually wanted to exalt himself over and above God. Okay, he's the first to sin. He leads a rebellion in, in heaven of these other angels that we now, now call demons to rebel against their creator. And then we pick up the story in Genesis chapter 3 of the Bible where we see how humanity gets involved. We basically get recruited by him to join in that rebellion, and at the root of it all, and at the root of all sin, is this word that Peter is bringing to our attention tonight, pride. It's the root of all sin. And so Peter, he, he speaks as he says, be, be sober-minded, like see clearly that this is the way reality really is. This is, this is what life, this is what's really happening. Be watchful. Look out for him. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. We have a spiritual enemy, and we need to realize that and just be watchful for him. Peter describes him like a a predator, a hunter, who wants to devour us like a lion devours his prey. says he wants to destroy us. You've probably heard that God has a plan for your life, a plan and a purpose, and, and he does, but, but Satan, your enemy, also has a plan for your life to destroy the plan and purpose of God. And the way that he does that, the way that he hunts us down like this prowling, roaring lion is through deception and lies. Okay, that's what the name Satan, or the devil, actually means. It means the liar, the, the deceiver. So for to stand firm... In the true grace of God, we must humble ourselves and we must resist the devil. And again, I know it's weird to, to maybe weird to, to bring up the devil, but Peter, he's not embarrassed about this. He's actually just urgent about it. He's saying, resist him, be sober-minded, see clearly, okay? So what does he tell us? How can we actually resist the devil and be watchful? A couple things. First, he says, basically, we need to fight the lies of Satan with the truth of God. Look at verse 9. It says, resist him, firm in your faith. So resist the devil by being firm in your faith. And faith, we know, is, is trust in the truth about Jesus. Okay, so the way we resist the devil is by fighting him with the truth about God. We fight against his lies by believing the truth about God. And the thing that he usually does, the way that Satan works, is, is he tries to tell us lies about ourselves, about God, and about other people. He's always going to tell us some version of, of God. You know, he, he's not good. He can't be trusted. You must, you need to take life into your own hands. You need to exalt yourself. You need to exert yourself. He's going to say that person, they are the enemy. They can't be trusted. You must defeat them. 
And so when something hard happens in your life and you start to doubt the goodness and the power of God, just, just know it's, it's Satan, the deceiver, who has planted that, that little thought in your mind, but you can resist it. You don't have to cultivate that lie. You can actually replace it with the truth. The Bible is so full of the truth that God is good and that God is powerful and that God is able. And in our relationships, when your mind starts to run away with a narrative about another person or a group and it kind of gets to the point where you basically view them as like demonic, like that is Satan presenting you with the opportunity to focus on just like this one part of their story or this specific part of their sin and ignore so many other important things about them, like a more full perspective of them. That's his work. That's, that's his work of deception. But you can resist it. You can. You have that option. Like you can replace this narrow view of them with a more full picture of who they are by actually talking to them. <laughs> so often that's what we need to do is actually talk to people that we're, we're creating these stories about in our head. And remembering what God says is true about them as a human being, or if they're a Christian, what's true about them if they're in Christ. And so we see that temptation, temptation to sin, it's ultimately a battle of, of who are you going to trust? Who are you going to trust? God or the devil? And Peter says, resist him. Stand firm in your faith. We, we resist the devil ultimately by, by trusting in God. Okay, and that's why we preach the Bible at Salt Company and Doxa every week. That's why we try to apply it in connection groups. That's why we always talk about and encourage you to start a practice of reading the Bible on your own because we're trying to resist the devil by filling our minds and our hearts with the truth, fighting the lies of Satan with the truth of God. And this is going to be really important for all of us this summer, right? Like especially if you're going to be away from community this summer. Satan, he's going to come at you with all kinds of lies. He's going to, you're going to be in your hometown or in your, your childhood house, and he's going to show you these things from your past. He's going to remind you of memories. He's going to point you to patterns. He's going to tempt you to go back to your old ways. And so you need to be, be sober-minded and, and see clearly that that's what's happening. Be ready. Be, be watchful for it and have a plan for how you're going to resist and a huge part of that plan is to not try to resist that temptation on your own. Okay, to not be a lone ranger. Look what Peter says. He says, resist him, firm in your faith. And then what does he say next? Knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. This, this family of Christians around the world. And so that's the second thing we need to do. Is stand in solidarity with each other in the fight. Peter, he wants these Christians to know that they're, they're not alone, okay? And this is why community is so important. This is why the church is so important. Sometimes, like, literally when I think about my, my connection group in Doxa, especially during the pandemic when we were just fighting to try to figure out ways to be together, is like, I would tell them, I'm like, you guys are the people that every week I'd get to just check in with and make sure that I'm not literally going insane. <laughs> like, I'm not, I'm not just, like, like stuck, stuck in my house going insane, but also just with, like, the lies of the enemy because he picks us off when we're, when we're alone. That's why community is so important. But what if this summer you're going to get disconnected from community because you're, you're going back to your hometown, you're going to be around friends that, that I'm sure are great, but maybe they're not, they're not following Jesus. You don't have people that are going to be speaking truth in your life. Like, what are you going to do? Well, as I was thinking about this, Peter's encouraging these Christians to just like know that there's Christians around the world that they've never, that they've never met that are going through the same thing. We have like a, a significant advantage over them 
of being able to connect with people that we're not with called our phones, right? Very simple, very profound point. My, my point is just if you're, if you're someone that's going to be like disconnected from community this summer, like you really actually have no excuse to not be able to remain connected, connected to some of your, your Christian friends here in Madison and from your connection group. Like literally, like use technology to resist the devil this summer. I think all of, all of your connection groups, like before you all leave, you should be asking each other this question of how can we help each other fight sin this summer? And so we, we humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God. This is something that we must do every moment, every day for the rest of our lives. And we resist the devil. This is how we stand firm in the true grace of God. And if I just ended this now as a two-point sermon, I think that it would be helpful, and I think that we might be able to stand firm for a little while, but only a little while. Because if you've been listening and trying to actually figure out like what this would be like to be a person that humbles themselves, and to be a person that resists the lies of, of the devil for the long haul, you should be actually feeling like that is going to be really hard. Maybe sounds actually impossible. But that's why there's a third point. Okay, and that's why there's, there's a final thing that Peter wants to tell us to help us to stand firm in the true grace of God. But this is something that only God can do. This isn't something that we can do. This is something that only he can do that we must wait on him for. Look at verse 10. It says, and after you have suffered a little while. I just want to pause on that for a minute. That is, that is the Apostle Peter's summary of life. <laughs> it's like this is, here's, here's my summary statement of, of basically what, what life is, which I know sounds, sounds dark, but I just really appreciate his honesty. It's so, it's so helpful. He does, he's not saying that like all of, all of life is suffering, but a, a great way to summarize what life in a fallen, sinful, broken world is, is suffering for a little while. And some of us feel that more than others, and some of us are going to feel that more than others in, later in life. We will all carry some type of a cross just like Jesus did. And Peter's saying this is, this is the first part of the true grace of God. Okay, the cross first, but then look at the rest of verse 10. It says, after you've suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, he will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. This is the crown. And so if you're someone here tonight who, who is trying to achieve something in your life, trying to make something of yourself, that last sentence, it should both humble you to the ground and set you totally free. Christ himself will restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Not you, him. Look right at me. Not you, him. This restoration and confirmation, this strengthening, this establishing, it's something that only God can do, and it's something that in Christ he is going to do to you, and for you. It's not something that you can achieve. It's something that you must wait to, to just receive from him humbly, from his, from his mighty hand. The Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 8, he says it like this. He says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time, they, 
they aren't even worth comparing to the glory that is going to be revealed to us. And this is the hope that we were saved in. And we wait for it with patience. So there's coming a day for, for all of us who are in Christ that the mighty hand of God is going to exalt us. That's what Peter means when he says we're, we're called to his eternal glory. It's going to come after we've suffered in this life for a little while, but from the perspective of eternal glory, that suffering is going to look like we only suffered for a little while. And I know that right now there, there's some of you that there's still like a wound from your past that, that aches and it might ache from now until you see Jesus face to face. You still have a, a sin in your life that, that currently is robbing you of joy and when you kill that one, you'll have another one and you're gonna struggle with sin until the day you die. You have a loss or you will have a loss that you will never be able to get back. All of us have like a long road of uncertainty and more suffering ahead of us, but you know what else we have? We have the God of all grace who has called us to his eternal glory. And nothing that comes into our life can, can slip through his mighty hand unnoticed. Even the things that we don't understand and won't understand until eternity. And so Salt Company, the, the cross of Jesus Christ, it was not only the most horrific suffering that a human being has ever experienced, but it was also the most horrific suffering that God himself could have ever faced. God, he, he gave up his own son. Jesus, he was forsaken by his father. At the cross, what Jesus was doing is he was, he was taking on literally the penalty for our sin, the, the righteous wrath of God that we deserve. But then through his resurrection, as Peter's been telling us, he was making it possible for all the consequences of our sin to one day be healed and restored. Okay, Jesus, he traded places with us. We are united to him. And what that means is that he can restore us because he was first destroyed for us. He can now confirm us, Peter says, because he first, he faced rejection for us, our rejection. He can now strengthen us because he first became weak in our place. He can establish us because he was first disregarded by us. He took our cross so we could one day wear his crown, the crown that he achieved, the crown that we will humbly just receive from him. This is a salvation that only God could have ever accomplished. We play no role in that but to humbly receive it with the empty hands of faith. This is, this is the true grace of God. Okay, this is the gospel. As Christians, we call this the good news that you, a sinner destined for the total disintegration of, of hell, the total destruction, the total separation from God that we, that we choose and that we deserve. Because he's chosen to show mercy on us, we can be remade, we can be restored by simple faith, trust, accepting the offer of salvation from Jesus Christ. We become united to him in such a way that whatever is true of him becomes true of us. And so we can be resilient when we suffer in this life because we're literally being prepared for eternal glory. We're being held in the mighty hand of God. And Peter, he, he told us that while we wait for God to do what only he can do, we don't wait passively. 
But he says, like, we have this, this active, like, leaning forward mentality. He says we, we prepare our mind for action. We set our hope fully on the grace that's going to be brought to us in that day. And so I want to just do that together tonight. Would you close your eyes? We're going we're gonna to pray, but I'm going to talk to you as we pray. And just as we, as we finish this, this crazy year in this semester, I want you to look far beyond this year and just imagine that day with me. The day that verse 10 talks about when it says, and after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, he will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. And so if you're a Christian, this is, this is your future. If you're sitting here tonight and you are not a Christian, this could be your future. You don't have to do anything to earn it or achieve it. You simply just receive it. And you could do that tonight. You could do that right now while we're praying. But I want you to imagine that day when you meet the one who has called you to eternal glory. When you meet him, he will restore what has been corrupted in you. Whatever that is for you, he will restore it. You don't feel right now like you could actually stand before him, but because of the work of Jesus Christ on that day, he will confirm and strengthen and establish you. He will look at you, and you will be worthy. And the burden of your sin will be lifted off your shoulders. Imagine what that is going to feel like. The burden of guilt, the burden of the consequences, the burden of, of the anxiety of living in a fallen world, it will be lifted off your shoulders. The consequences of sin will be no more. The possibilities for more consequences will be no more. Every tear will be wiped away from your eyes and you will rejoice with a joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. And then you will join with the rest of the redeemed from throughout history, from all across the globe, every tongue, tribe, nation, language. And you will sing, to him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen.